Morning, everybody. Pastor Phil here at New Life in Christ Church. Once again, welcoming you to our online service, and it's good to have you all with us. I'm glad that you are, are able to find it. And um, you know, if you uh, if you are new to the the services that we do here, we have our uh, our our website, which is nlicedercreek.org, um, which will be on the the uh, the screen there, and uh, you can find on there. You can find links back to this page, our YouTube page, or also to our Facebook page. Uh, which, uh, if you would like that, that would help us to expand our reach and um, talk to people who, who need Jesus in their lives, you know. Um, now, also, we have three ways to give now, which the first way is text. We have the uh, uh, n number on the screen there. Or uh, you can click the link in this video's description um, below the video. Or you can give by mail, which we have the church's mailing address on the screen. Uh, also, if you, have a, if you have prayer requests or you have people that you know that need prayer, um, please uh, send those our way. Uh, we'd love to pray for you and and, uh, and uh, see God move in your life. And of course, you can uh, you can pray on your own, but it's helpful to have people who will join with you and agree with you, stand in agreement. And uh, so, uh, if yes, if you have those, please send those our way. And uh, now, I'd like to get to service. Let's go ahead and pray and uh, begin to worship. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for your presence, Lord. That even though we are uh, not together physically, we are united in your spirit. We are united in Christ. And uh, as Paul told the church, you know, I, when you about a certain matter in the church, he said, I was with you in spirit. And so I thank you, Lord, that uh, we can do that. And that's so valuable for the church to be able to do, especially when we are united in thought and purpose. And uh, we each have our sphere of influence that we can affect in this world. And uh, we ask, Lord, that uh, you would bless our time together with you, that it be um, a great benefit to everyone involved. And I just thank you, Father, and praise you and love you, and in Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Oh, 
your goodness be displayed over the seas, Lord, all over this earth. Sing when the night one more time. And when the night is holding on to me, holding on and when the night is holding on to me God is holding on thank you Lord
sea. You split the sea so I could walk right through it. My fear is drowned in perfect love. You rescued me and I will stand and see I am a child of God. Rescued me, Lord. You rescued me. You rescued me. Set me free. Oh, set me free. You set me free, Lord. Oh, set. Set me free, Lord, by the power of your blood, by the power of the cross, you set me free, oh, set me free, and I am a child of God, I am a child of God. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he Jesus paid. Jesus paid it all. All to him my own. Sin had left a cry. 
my grace to claim. could never repay you, Jesus. We could never repay you. And so we remember what you did on the cross. How you suffered, Jesus. But how you did so out of love. To redeem us back to yourself. I thank you, Jesus. How I thank you, Lord. ask for your help to bring the word today. And I pray, Lord, that it will answer questions people have been asking and help us who want to grow in you and to accomplish your desire in the earth. And I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Testing, am I on? One, two, sounds like I'm on. Don't quite have that thing grabbing on my ear, right?
Praise God. Let's jump right in today. Open your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 1. Um, I believe in my heart that this message is going to be very uh, relevant to some of you who have been asking these questions. You know, I feel in my heart that people have been wondering about this. And uh, the title of today's message is The Puzzle of Life. The puzzle of life. You know, I, uh, when I was a kid, I spent um, quite a lot of time at my mom's mom's house. You know, she's gone home to be with the Lord now, but, uh, you know, my grandma Stafford, you know, she used to love to, to do jigsaw puzzles. She loved to play cards and do all kinds of other things, you know, but she loved doing jigsaw puzzles. And I think we all have that one family member who just loves doing jigsaw puzzles and uh, you know, some of them go to great lengths, you know, glue them together and frame them and you know, things like that. I personally am not a big fan. Uh, I, I like them as well as, you know, I, I mean, okay, you know, but because I spent a lot of time at my grandma's house, you know, I would, I would get bored. I'm a little kid, you know, I'd get bored and she'd say, well, why don't you just come over here and do this puzzle with me? And uh, she did not like to do easy puzzles. She liked the 10,000 piece puzzle of a wheat field, you know, and I'm like, Grandma, this is a wheat field. Like, we're going to be here for days, you know. And, uh, you know, and, and of course, it was a kind of a blurry wheat field, you know, so it's like you're, you know, you're, you're looking at these pixelated puzzle pieces, and it's like, well, you know, if I look at it long enough, it just looks like a big blur of yellow and green, you know, and, uh, and then, you know, so also she had, you know, she went every now and then we do the one with the kittens in the basket, you know, the basket of yarn, and, and, you know, I'd be over there, I, you know, she's got third of the puzzle done, and, I'm, and I've got one kitten's face done, and I'm like, you know, because I'd had trouble getting past the face and the ears, you know, I could see the eyes, I could make out the eyes and the ears, you know, um, but when I got to those other pieces beyond that, the, the pieces weren't as easy to recognize, you know, and then my grandma would tell me, well, if you're having trouble with that, then work on the edges, you know, because those pieces have that flat side, and she says, you can, you can line all those up, you know, and I think, oh, yes, things are about to get real exciting now. And a lot of times, you know, I think that our lives are like a puzzle that we're putting together as we progress toward our goal. And just like that kitten's face was easier for me to group together, you know, because it could take five or four or five, maybe six pieces to form the one kitten's face, just like that's easier to group together, there are certain pieces of our lives that are easier to group together than others. You know, we might focus on the job for a while, career, you know, and I say, okay, this piece here, this is like my resume, you know, and then I've got this piece over here that's like my work ethic, and then this piece over here is like my, my training, my job training, you know, and as I put them together, the image of my job starts to come into focus, but piecing together my job is not the only part of the puzzle, you know, we have family, we have ministry, we have health. We have finances, because finances and career are two different things. You know, and everything else in between these major points that aren't, aren't as clearly defined. You know, they, they kind of end up being like the wheat field or, or, or you know, the, the yarn in the basket that's not as, not as easy to make out. Or maybe the fur on the kitten that's, that's you know, diff, more difficult. Bl- the colors are blurred and, and, and the shades are blurred and it's difficult to tell. You know, so we have those, those areas of our life that aren't as clearly defined, you know. But even through all this time that we spend strategizing and building and planning our lives, 
People have a hard time understanding the meaning of it all. You know, it's one of the most important questions that both Christians and non-Christians ask. What is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of our existence? You know, now, uh, we have talked about this many times in the past, and we've answered that question using Scripture, but, you know, in answering that question again today, now, hopefully, a specific purpose will be accomplished. So let's answer the first question. We're here in Genesis chapter 1. Look with me at verse 27. So we're going to kind of skip ahead through this creation a little bit, the account of creation. Verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so I should say, this is not in my notes, but this is a side note for when you are studying the Bible on your own. This is just a, a note for Bible study. God says, God, or it says here, God created man in his own, his own image. Uh, there, you know, on that, uh, you know, just by that statement, you know, there's, a, um, God took extra care when he made us. Uh, he took the time to make us in his own image. There's significance to that. But then he says, uh, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we understand that God is setting a precedent here in the word for when he's talking, when he, when he refers to mankind, you know, and we, or when he says, like, like the word, what is, what, is, uh, what is man that you are mindful of him, God? He's not talking about just men. He's talking about all of mankind because God sets this precedent here he, he made him in the image uh, of God. He created him male and female. He created them. So, you know, just for your personal Bible study, when you see, you have to look at the context of what's God talking about. When he says man, he's not always talking about just men. He's all, he, he could be talking about mankind as a whole. You know, so um, continuing on there, verse 28, he says, Then God blessed them, mankind, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, it's a mistake to stop right there and define our existence just by God's statement in these two verses, because this is mankind's assignment. You could say it is a purpose, but it is not our purpose. It is not, this is not why we exist. It is an assignment. You know, and I want to build a framework here. So look at verse 8 of the next chapter, chapter 2. It says, The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Now, in the previous chapter, God spoke all of the plants and animals into existence. That is the method he used to bring uh, light, the earth, you know, uh, uh, you know, all the creatures that walk the earth, that swim on the earth, that fly in the earth. He spoke, the method he used to create all that was that he spoke it into existence. And then, of course, he formed man from the dust of the ground, showing, uh, you know, a greater, a greater level of care and intimacy. But then, uh, when we get here, we see that God did not speak this garden into existence. He planted it. He plants a garden. That implies that he planted it with his own two hands. You know, he, and, and really in doing this, he gives Adam and Eve a visual example of what it means to subdue the earth. He told them, fill the earth and subdue it. Then he plants this garden and puts them in this garden. And he's giving, the, this, is what, this is what it will look like. This is what it should look like after you have subdued it. It should look like this. Okay. 
So uh, first of all, the garden then was already subdued. Then, see, God, God he spoke everything to, into existence. It took shape. And then in this garden, he forms it. He, he plants this garden and says, this is, this is your visual example. Okay? And then that implies that Adam and Eve were to gradually expand outward from the garden, subduing the earth as they went. And, and so they, they, they have, they're given this pattern to follow okay, in the garden. And then by multiplying, then when they begin to multiply, their children could help them in this task because how can you know, uh, one, one couple subdue the entire earth all by themselves? But, but, uh, and remember that this is not their ultimate purpose. Okay? This was an assignment God had given them. It was their job. And, you know, the, the pieces of the puzzle, so, you know, we see the overall job is, okay, fill the earth and subdue it. This is, and, and the pattern is, this is what, you know, the garden is, this is the end game of this assignment. This is what it should look like. But he tells them how to do it. Okay, he says, uh, be fruitful and multiply. And then that's the first one. And then two, fill the earth. And number three, then subdue it. So we have all these little different puzzle pieces that work together to form this task. Okay, <clears throat> let's look at the next two verses, verse 9. Uh, it says, And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. So we know that because from the context, God is, this is what the point, God is still in the garden, so he's doing this in the garden. He's, he's bringing these fruit trees um, up from the ground. So in the garden. So he says, Out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden. Okay, that's how we know that this is all happening in the garden, specifically. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 10, now a river went out of Eden to water the garden. And from there it parted and became four riverheads. So, so then God provided for the task. He said, here's your task, and then he provided for the task. He provided uh, what they needed to live and work, didn't he? You know, food and water. Now we know that there was a lot of water in Eden specifically because after after it, the river flowed out of Eden it broke into four smaller rivers. So that's a lot of that's a lot of water. And then also we understand that the food that he provided is not boring food, it's not repetitive or, or redundant food, I guess you could say it's not a it's not a redundant diet because it said that it was every tree that was pleasant to the eye and good for food. Okay, there's plenty of places in the world that they have trees that make fruit that are not good for food. So they have this amazing selection, you know, that he, God has provided. So they're, they're not only are they provided for, they are well provided for, for their assignment. Amen. And he'll do the same for you too. And we'll talk about that as you enter into your assignment um, or your purpose. So first of all, before we get into that, though, let's move on to another chapter. Let's skip to chapter 3. We're just kind of hitting some highlights here in the beginning. Uh, down at verse 7. This is after, um, this is after they have eaten from the, the, the tree that God told them not to eat from. They've fallen into sin. Okay, so verse 7. Uh, you know, and, okay, and, and, and after they, of course, th it's, a, it's a big deal. They, they sin, and because of that, sin enters the world because they had dominion in the world. God gave them dominion in the earth. He gave them authority in the earth. So when they sin, then sin enters the entire world. Okay, so now look at verse 7. It says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened. This is after they eat the fruit. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. 
And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So to me, this implies that God was in the habit of walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Okay? Um, And, you know, just so I don't forget, um, something that caught my eye right here. Where did they hide themselves? They hid themselves among the trees of the garden, among the very fruit trees that God brought forth to provide for them. You know, a lot of times people, when they're hiding from God, they hide from God in their own gifts and their own abilities and talents, things that he himself has gifted them with. They begin to make their life all about whatever their talents and gifts are. And that's not wise. Um, God's goal is always to reconcile us to himself. So uh, since, but back to my original point here, is that God was in the habit, apparently, of walking in the garden in the cool of the day. His presence was familiar enough to them that they knew it was him. You know, it said they heard his sound. They heard the sound of God, of the Lord God walking in the trees. You know, actually, in the margin of, of my New King James Bible, it says that they, uh, that, that it says that it was his voice, the sound of his voice. You know, they were familiar with his voice. But the closeness that they had with him was now broken. And from here, throughout the scriptures, we see God's call for us to draw back to him, draw near to him. The purpose that God made for us is for us to have relationship with him. That, that is, our purpose here is revealed in the fact that God, you know, they, 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 they went against what he said, so their fellowship with him was now broken. Instead of just discarding that relationship and saying, well, I gave them an assignment and they messed up, just we'll forget about it then. He seeks to reconcile himself. He seeks to reconcile them to himself. So we see the true purpose then, our eternal purpose then, is to have relationship with God and be near him. Okay, specifically a father-child relationship is what he's after. We can see that plainly in, in why he sent Jesus to adopt us. Those who are willing to accept Christ are adopted into God's family. So turn with me to uh, the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, way over in the New Testament. Ephesians 2, I just passed it. All of these things that we're talking about here are like puzzle pieces that we will put together at the end of the message. Okay, Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 13. The very, very important statement in the word that sometimes we tend to overlook. Um, But here in Ephesians 2, verse 13, it says, But now, in Christ Jesus, in him, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This does not apply to every person in the earth. Why? Because he says, but now in Christ Jesus. Not everybody is in Christ. Only people who have accepted him are in in Christ. He says, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In, in the beginning, okay, we saw that mankind was close to God, but when, uh, when they sinned, they were made far away from him. Why? Because of, uh, because of the sin. God, can't, God is not in fellowship with sin. So when they sinned, they were now broken. Their fellowship with him was broken. They were far away now. God was not okay with that arrangement. So he sent Jesus, 
and now the blood of Christ makes us near to God when we accept Christ. In writing to Timothy, Paul said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And all of us, I believe, know that Jesus charged us to go out into the world and bear witness to other people about him. That means simply that we tell them what Jesus did in our lives. This is what Jesus did for me. And he wants to do the same for you. That is an assignment. Okay? Because we're, we're talking about the difference between what a purpose, what, a, what our purpose is, and what assignments, what an assignment is. An assignment is not the same thing as a purpose. It can be tied to a purpose. But they are two different things. Turn with me to the book of Acts back here. So just... Um, as we're turning back, if you, if you see Romans, just go one more book back. Book of Acts. Very first verse in the book of Acts. Acts 1. Had a bookmark there. Wow. Okay, Acts 1. Says, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus, this is where we need to zero in, all that Jesus began both to do and teach. So Jesus began something in the earth. He began something. He started something here. There's a pattern here that I want you to see. Everything we talked about in the beginning of this message, the whole thing, the creation, the garden, the assignment to subdue the earth, even though they are history, they are a foreshadow of what we, what we would see today. God planted the garden. He started something Okay? He gave an example to follow, and he told Adam to multiply, told them, Adam and Eve, multiply, fill the earth, cultivate the earth to resemble the garden that I planted here. Jesus began to do things and teach things. He gave an example, and then he told us, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. That's a command to the church to multiply. Told Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply. He's telling the church, go out and make disciples, multiply. Because Adam and Eve could not subdue the whole earth without multiplying, they would need help. Neither can we evangelize the whole world without multiplying the church by getting more people saved. And I, you know, I mean, I, I mentioned it last week, and I'll mention it again. Every time I begin to pray for revival, the church has been praying for revival for decades, and we've been praying and seeking God, and it's, it's good to do that. But it seems in my heart that now there's a cry from God to call to the church, call that the church is supposed to call out to the other members of the church, the other parts of the church, and call to the church for revival. Those of us who have been sitting on the sidelines, those of us who have been hoping that the people would come to us, we're going to have to change that. We're going to have to actually live out revival in the earth. And God will help us with accompanying signs, wonders, and miracles. He did it for the early church. He'll do it for us. Amen. It's not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of the living God. We've got to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. got to be prayed up as we go out. Amen. Lastly, Jesus, he didn't stop with going to all the world and make disciples of all the nations. He said after that, teaching them to observe everything that I commanded you. In this case, subduing the earth would be teaching people to stop sinning. You know, stop causing harm. Sin causes harm. 
But notice first Jesus said to make them disciples, first get them saved, then teach them to stop sinning. A lot of church people have made the mistake of reversing those two steps. A person can't escape temptation to sin until they first accept Christ and receive his nature. They, then they can put on the mind of Christ. Now they can say, I, now I can respond from this new nature God has given me. I can use my Bible form beliefs to govern what I think, what I say, what I do. I don't have to give in to temptation. But we know that our ultimate purpose that God made us for is to be in fellowship with him, to be near to him. That is our eternal purpose. We have an eternal purpose and we have an earthly purpose. There's a great deal of purpose in your life that God has mapped out. The purpose that he has for you ultimately is the same as the purpose he has for me, but we've got different assignments. We've got different talents, abilities, different, a different path of life, and God will have, he will, he, there's people that you can reach that I cannot, and there's people I can reach that you cannot. We, we are in this together. But the, the ultimate purpose we share our eternal purpose is to be with the Lord forever. And in order to make that possible, or you could say in order to redeem or restore that possibility, he sent Jesus into the world to save sinners. In the moment that you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that is the day that you officially began your eternal purpose, which is to be in fellowship with God. And then you have an earthly purpose that we'll talk about as well which we have been talking about, which is that other assignment that Jesus gave us. Go out and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. So this assignment, which you could say is a purpose, is your earthly purpose. You are already fulfilling your eternal purpose, and you are working to fulfill your earthly purpose. Of course, the great commission that Jesus gave is not for just one of us, but for all of us. The whole church collectively, just as much for a local body as it is for the church as a whole. Let's talk about that for a minute. If you have a bookmark, go ahead and leave it here in Acts. Uh, if not, don't worry about that. Just turn with me quickly over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I just happen to have a bookmark back there in Acts. That'll make it easier on me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And, oh, I'm actually going to read this one from the New Living Translation because it makes a point here that most translations don't, and I'll get into the Greek a little bit and explain, uh, you know, why it's in the NLT but not in some of the other translations, but uh, it's, it's still Scripture, it still applies. So 1 Corinthians 1.10 in the NLT says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church, Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. There's that word purpose again. Ultimately, Paul is talking here about the church's purpose, which we just established as getting as many people saved as possible and on the road to spiritual maturity as we can. That word purpose in the Greek is nome, and most translations render that word judgment or opinion. It actually means cognition, you know, thinking process, or resolve. And it carries the idea of agreement, judgment, mind, purpose, and will. So we want to be 
united in thought and purpose. And I've seen this, uh, you know, I've seen this particular local body. I don't know if you are, you, you know, you might, you might be a part of your own church. Uh, but I've seen this particular local body make great strides recently to do that, to be united in thought and purpose. But of course, we, it's not always easy, you know, but it's worth it if we, if, you know, we can work toward that. But of course, we know that Satan doesn't like that. And, and you know, recently a lot of us in this body have come under heavy attack. Now, the devil's schemes are no secret. The word says, we know, we know, we're not, we're not ignorant of the devil's devices. You know, he is employing one of the, the most effective and popular military tactics. It's called divide and conquer. If we're sick, we can't make it to church. If we are stuck, even though we are, uh, you know, physically not together, you know, uh, we, are, we can still be united in thought and purpose. We can still be united in the spirit and in Christ. You know, but if we're, if we're sick, we can't make it in there, you know, it's going to make things uh, more difficult to be united in thought and purpose. Not that it's not possible, it is still. But it's important, you know, that we can get together and pray and worship and fellowship. You know, we need to be in prayer that this thing is resolved so that we can get back to where we can all be together. Um, not that we can't operate effectively now. We can, but we can be more effective. That's why the word said in Hebrews 10, not to forsake the gathering of yourselves together. We gather together to keep from being divided. So when we as a church come under uh, these kinds of trials, we need to come together and rally around God. We should put our trust in him as a body, collectively. You know, that can be uh, being willing to visit and pray with those who are sick or, or feel prayer requests via, you know, online messaging and things like that. It's possible. The last chapter of Ephesians talks about being watchful and making supplication for the saints. Supplication is just a fancy word. That's just asking God to provide something or to do something. So we have to pray for one another, even if we're not doing that great ourselves. Sometimes it's difficult to, you know, especially if you, you are in a, a bad way, it's difficult to pray for others. Like, I got to pray for myself first, you know, but... You know, you understand, you pray for other people who have similar needs that you, that, that you have. You are sowing seed. If I need healing and I'm praying for somebody else who needs healing, am I not sowing seeds of healing? God will work together with us when we start praying for each other's well-being. Praying for revival, praying for boldness, praying for all these things the Word says we should pray for. Galatians talks about bearing one another's burdens. Bearing another person's burden requires investing some time into them. Whether you're bearing their burden through prayer or by listening to them or mourning with them, the Word tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You know, not that you stay in the place of mourning. You know, you, you, you mourn as far as is necessary and then you break into joy. That's why those two things are, are joined together. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Um, and this is not in my notes, but this is, this is important to say. You know, we've had times where we've wept with people who weep, sincerely, weep with people who weep, mourn with people who mourn, but even in that same breath, we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. If he is leading us to now, let's break into a note of victory, we do that. That's how we minister. Because a person, the Bible talks about offering the sacrifice of thanksgiving. We thank God in advance for what he's going to do. So we have to get, we, we, the most important, and this is, this is something I've always, you know, I've, I've gone through some hard times in my life, but the point is not to dwell on them. 
The point is to, there, there, there is a usefulness to mourning. There is a reason that we have the emotion of grief because it helps work things out of our spirit that need to get out of there. But we can't wallow in that. We have to, when we can, come into being thankful for what God has said. I mean, even if all we can do is say, God, I'm thankful that your word says this. Thank you that your word says that. Anyway. I bring up the idea of bearing one of those burdens because if the enemy attacks us as a body, as a church, rather than individually, we ought to resist the attack as a body. That a body that puts its trust in Christ. Now, this here is a spirit-filled body of believers. We believe in divine health and supernatural provision. Talking about Jesus in 1 Peter, it says, by whose stripes you were healed. That means Jesus has made healing available. Healing is a spiritual fact. And it comes over into the physical and manifests in your body through faith. But if a person does not believe that, God, that it's God's will to, that they be healed, it's going to be awful hard for them to attach their faith to that scripture. See, I need to attach my faith to what God has said. If, if I have to be able to, if God said it, if, if, the, if God told me that by, by his stripes I was healed, I can attach my faith to that. I have a right to. God has shown me, you, you can believe for this. You can believe me for this. There's lots of other things that God has not said that we can believe him for. But the things that he has said we can believe him for, we can attach our faith to that. Think about it kind of like you're hitching your wagon to a truck. You're hitch, hitching, a, hitching a trailer to a truck that's going to carry you where you need to get, get to. Hebrews 6 talks about inheriting the promises through faith and patience. Talking about provision, Philippians chapter 4 says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. Supernatural provision is a promise, and it's available to those who put their trust in God for it. I mean, that, that promise is in place even all the way through the end times, which we've been talking about recently. People get worried about the mark of the beast because it says without the mark, of, you know, if you don't take the mark of the beast, you can't buy or sell. Even if you can't buy or sell, that doesn't mean that God won't provide for you. It's available to those who put their trust in God for it. Trust, you will find, is a component of faith. Turn with me uh, over to Galatians chapter 5, if you would. There's something I want to show you. Galatians. And we're going to have to read that one in the Amplified. Amplified Bible. And I'm going to look at uh, Galatians 5, verse 2. Okay, so... Uh, it says, notice it is I, Paul, who tells you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no profit, advantage, avail, uh, uh, avail to you. Now, now this is where we, we came here to, to read this last sentence here. For if you distrust him, Christ, okay, if you distrust Christ, you can gain nothing from him. That is a huge statement. If you distrust Jesus, 
you can gain nothing from him. If I fail to put my trust in Christ, then I've disqualified myself to gain anything from him. And then also I may, maybe I distrust him in one area. Maybe I distrust him in the area of finances. Tammy and I had to walk through that. We had to learn how to trust God for finances. Now, supernatural provision is a promise from God, and it's available to those who put their trust in God for it. And see, we in the church can pray for these things for others in the church. The church at large does not understand the purpose of those particular pieces of the puzzle. Divine health and supernatural provision are not just for our personal enjoyment. They are pieces of the puzzle that benefit others as well. Remember in the garden, God provided food and water for Adam and Eve for the purpose of supplying them so that they would be able to carry out the task he had given them. Sometimes I mean, I know when I've, when I've thought of Adam and Eve in the garden, I just think, oh, it's just all, it's all leisure time. I mean, they're just hanging out and eating whatever. Oh, let's try this kind of fruit today. But the purpose of the provision was so that they could accomplish their task. So, you know, um, why, why are we focusing on provision for Adam and Eve? Well, because before the fall, Adam and Eve had no need of physical healing. Because at that time there was no sickness, their bodies couldn't die. So we see that just like in the beginning, when God gives us an assignment, okay, he makes provision available to us as we carry out that assignment. And actually he provides, uh, I mean, he provides a lot for us if we're willing to receive it in faith. So then God understands that we still need to go about our daily lives as well as we, as we carry out the earthly purpose that he has for us. I'm not saying that we can't enjoy the things he provides. We just can't lose sight of what they have been provided for. Because most of us are not called a full-time ministry. The vast majority of the church has a full-time career other than ministry. But there is something that we need to be careful about as we carry out our earthly purpose. We sum up the idea of the Great Commission in one word. Outreach. And most Christians think of outreach as something that we just do now and then. I, I did. And I grew up in the church. And Lifeway Research, I, I read recently, they interviewed 2,930 professing Christians. And they asked them how many times they had told someone how to become a Christian in the previous six months. 61% of them said zero times. Now, in grade school terms, that's an F. But I'm not trying to get anyone on a guilt trip or whip anybody into a frenzy about outreach because I don't believe that that works. I don't believe it works to all of a sudden just start telling, ramping this up and telling people, hey, we need to be focused on outreach. Because after, because if you whip people up into a frenzy, well, a frenzy dies down, and then you, they, we end up right where we were, were before. You know, there's no lasting change. There needs to be a lasting change. Turn with me over to the last part of Acts, chapter two. We are about to read um, right after the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. And then Peter, Peter preached a sermon where 3,000 people got saved. That's a, that's a, you know, I guess we would call that an outreach event, sort of. 
Um, wasn't planned, though. It just kind of happened. Acts 3. I should say it wasn't, I mean, Acts 2, excuse me. I should say it was not planned by men. It was planned by God. Okay, Acts 2, verse 46. This is talking about the church now, after this happened. So continuing daily with one accord. There's that unity again in the body. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, I just want to point one thing out, and this is just a side note, okay? There are people today who who are, it's, it's, it's become popular for people to say, well, they, the early church didn't meet in a church building. They only met from house to house. They're forgetting about this, right, that first sentence there, continuing daily with one accord in the temple. They were meeting in a temple. They were meeting in a building daily. And they were meeting from house to house. And they were breaking bread, eating their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all of the people. Those are all pieces of a puzzle. Okay, the first they, they meet with one. They're, first of all, they're meeting with one accord. They're doing. They're meeting. They're they're in one accord in all of these activities. We can tell by the way it's worded. Okay, so first of all, they're in accord. They're meeting in the temple. They're breaking bread from house to house. They're eating their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, just enjoying life, praising God, and having favor with all the people. And what 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 happened as a result? The last sentence says, "And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being." Save. So we see it's the Lord who adds to the church. But he does it in response to the church's unity in thought and purpose. In other words, they lived in such a way that outreach flowed out of their lifestyle. Outreach was not an event for them. It was a part of everyday life. I'm not against outreach events. God can use those, and he does, to reach people. But I'm saying we shouldn't take outreach and isolate it from the daily Christian life. It's part of the daily Christian life. We can't be afraid to talk or to act when the Holy Spirit nudges us and says, hey, that person over there in the produce section trying out that guava, go talk to them. They need to hear about Jesus. Maybe they just need prayer. Maybe they already, they're already saved. If you go over there and you talk to them, they're already saved. You find out they're already saved. Great, let's pray. You are still bearing witness of Jesus. You are still acting as a witness of Christ because you're reminding that person, God does care about me. <laughs> and you know, we can't be afraid to say the wrong thing. We are going to say the wrong thing occasionally, sometimes. God knows we're going to make mistakes. He tells us to do this anyway. Jesus told us to pray to the Father to send laborers into his harvest. And here's a thought, you know. So as we pray that, you know, uh, when do we become the answer to that prayer? When someone else has prayed for it. You know, we, we pray for our loved ones. Lord, send someone that they'll listen to. They won't listen to me. I prayed that way. Someone else might be praying that same prayer. And guess what? You're the answer. To their prayer. I was at one of the uh, 
BCMA meeting, this Bastrop Christian, Christian Ministerial Alliance here in Bastrop, one of the, min, the ministers said, God told him to go to the prisons and share the gospel with a specific age and ethnic group there. He told me that he wasn't sure why God told him that specifically. I know why. It, it, it was God's answer to the prayers from a certain community. Apparently, that minister is, is equipped to reach that specific group. He's the man for the job. So the point I'm trying to make here is that we have our life on this earth and we can think of it like a jigsaw puzzle. People who don't know God try to piece together the obvious parts of the puzzle, the job, the marriage, the house, the car. They don't know what else to do. That's why so many of them despair when they've attained all those things and now they're like, now what? They don't know their purpose. They can't know it until someone tells them about Jesus. Some Christians, not all of them, only piece together the edges of the puzzle. Someday I'm going to heaven. And all they're concerned with is their eternal purpose. As, as Brother Hagin put it one time, there, or maybe it wasn't Brother Hagin, it was one of the ministers at my Bible college said, said uh, they become so spiritually minded they're no earthly good. And then there are those of us who understand our eternal purpose, but we've learned that our earthly purpose is interwoven into our daily lives here. The eternal pur- purpose, okay, the eternal purpose is the puzzle as a whole. The earthly purpose is all the pieces in between the parts of the puzzle that are, are easy to see. Or not easy to see. Well, my grandma, she would put, she'd be putting the outside edge of the puzzle together. I was putting together the faces of the kittens, and they're just kind of floating around in, the, in this frame, you know. So we would have all these kitten faces, you know, just kind of, kind of being slid around back and forth, uh, you know, along the outside edge or pushed out of the way because the less obvious pieces connecting the kittens' faces to the outside edges hadn't been placed yet. The kitten faces, the parts of the puzzle that are easy to see are the job, the house, the marriage. Now, the outside edge gives the eternal purpose definition because we know we have fellowship with God even though we don't know all of the details of that yet or what all of that entails. We don't fully understand all that this relationship with God that we have entails. There's more beyond this, this earth, this age. And so that earthly purpose, we can call it outreach if, if we want to, should, that should naturally flow out of our Christian lifestyle. Outreach is all of those less obvious pieces in the middle of the puzzle that hold the kitten faces together with the outside edge of the puzzle. Because outreach is less obvious than the other areas of our life. Why? Because it takes listening to the Holy Spirit when we're out and about. It's a, because it's a co-laboring with God, we don't always receive direction right away. Sometimes, you know, I mean, who knows who, knows who he'll have, you, have us talk to? Who knows what method he'll have us use? What story he'll have us tell? What, um, what scripture he'll have us share with them? So you can see it why it's, not, it's, not, it's no less part of the puzzle, but it is less clearly defined. 
but it is holding everything else together because that is the earthly purpose. And, you know, we can work together as a body as well by praying together and for each other, by staying united in thought and purpose. I know that we want to see churches across this nation full. We all want that. We want to see people saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, maturing in Christ. We want to see that. This is how we can accomplish that. That is the pattern that God showed us in the book of Acts. Amen? That's all I have for today. Um, But hopefully it's helped answer some questions for y'all. So uh, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you so much for your purpose. We thank you, Lord, that we can look to your interests and we can set ourselves up to be in alignment with those interests. We can lay down our own things, our own... um, activities and we can take up your activities we can move with you and we can work with you all at your side helping you speak to people and it's a privilege and an honor so i thank you lord i ask for you know all those who are under the sound of this recording lord that you would touch their lives i ask father god that you would show them allow them to taste and see that you are good Show them how to draw near to you, Father. I pray, Lord, you provide for any needs, any physical needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs, financial needs, Lord, uh, career needs, promotional opportunities, Lord. I pray that those will go out because now they understand that there is a purpose for them beyond just enjoying those things. I thank you, Father, and I praise you. And in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Well, bless you guys, and I will see you again next week.